Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Every Nation Rosebank this morning. It's so good to have you with us. Who's glad they came to meet God in the worship? Wasn't that awesome? That was really awesome. <clears throat> you are also here for our very first um, session of our Christmas series, which is entitled, He is Here, Hope for Today. And we are going to talk about hope between now and Christmas Day. Why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to start reading from verse 17. This is a prophecy that Matthew is referring back to to prove that Jesus Christ really is who he said he was. And it says this, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Jesus is the hope of the nations. But it's so interesting, when Isaiah originally gave this prophecy, it was about 700 years before Jesus Christ set foot on the planet Earth. And from the beginning of Israel's history, they were told to hope for their Messiah, to have a constant expectation for the arrival of Messiah, the anointed one of God, who would set them free once and for all from, from their enemies, from oppression, from pain and from suffering. And for millennia, they hoped and they expected. But who has read the Old Testament? <laughs> who knows that Israel's history was rather wild and turbulent? And all I can imagine is that every time they fell away from God and they were oppressed by a foreign enemy, that in that moment, something rose up in them saying, but surely this is the time. Surely now he will come and make our lives better. And yet, he did not come. But in every season of their need, God would raise up a prophet, and the prophet would say this. He would say, hope again. Expect again. He is coming. What that tells me is that hope is hard. Hope is not easy. Expecting hope is the title of today's sermon. Expecting hope and keeping hope alive is hard. Let's just be honest. Part of the reason Israel kept falling away from God is because hope is hard, and they would give up hope. They would stop believing the good promises of God, and they would fall away from worshiping him, from giving him thanks. They would fall away from knowing that what he says he will do, he will do. And every time they did that, things go really bad. I would suggest to you that you read the book of Judges. But do be aware you're going to need a strong stomach to push through that. But that is the story of Israel coming to the Lord, remembering who he is, then forgetting, and then falling into apostasy, and then they are oppressed, and their enemies have their way with them. 
But God just kept coming back to them and saying, hope again. And I believe that this Christmas season, that is what God is saying to you and I, hope again. Now, in our modern culture, in our modern understanding, hope feels like a very ephemeral thing. It feels like a very light thing. It's all airy-fairy. The way we use our language tells us what we actually believe about hope. We say things like, I really hope I pass my exam. But we know we didn't open a textbook. In fact, not even sure what subject we're writing for. And we know we're going to fail. But we say, we hope we're going to pass. We say things like, I really hope she likes me. But I never went and said anything to her. I haven't even had a conversation with her. And I've never asked her out for coffee. Young men, stop hoping and do something. Um, <laughs> so we have made hope a light thing and an airy, fairy thing. But actually, hope is a powerful, powerful spiritual force God has given us. What am I talking about? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13 says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Hope is one of the three things that remains throughout eternity. Only three things remain, and one of them is hope. Hope is eternal. Secondly, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What is that scripture saying? It is saying faith is made of hope. Hope is the substance of faith. Hope is the material we cut faith out of. There cannot be faith without hope. And so we need hope. We need to get back to hoping. Hope instigates, motivates, and promotes faith. When we lose hope, we have no faith. Now, the Bible dictionary defines the word hope as the eager and sure expectation of something good. Eager and sure. Can you see it's not like, well, I hope I pass my exam. It's like, because God, this. Because of the Bible, this. Because of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, everything's going to be different. Eager and sure expectation. Take a quick look at your own heart. How eager and sure are you today? Mm. We won't take a test. And so can you see that hope is not vague and insubstantial? It is powerful. Hope is strong. Hope is specific and it is focused. Hope requires a deep intentionality from you and I to step into hope. And now you understand why hope is hard. Now you understand why it's easy to despair because hope requires an effort from us. The very first example of someone keeping hope alive in the Bible that I can find is Abraham. And Abraham had a hope. Romans 4 verse 18 says, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And so God speaks to Abraham. 
and he makes a promise and a covenant with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, you are going to be a father of nations. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? But because God has spoken to him, Abraham begins to let an an expectation rise in him. He hears the voice of God and he says, you are good. The Lord says to him, I am good. Come follow me and I will do with you what needs to be done. And you will be great in the earth. And so expectation rises in Abraham. And because of this this expectation, Abraham actually believes God's promise. And he steps out into one of the craziest adventures that has ever been recorded. Somebody really needs to make the book of Genesis into a soap opera. It will go on for years. Abraham's journey is one of keeping the dream alive. That's all he does. He has the rub, keeping the dream alive when there is absolutely no physical manifestation of it coming to pass. Abraham was 100 years, possibly a little older, (laughs) before the first legitimate sign of that dream happened. We we spoke about um, Jehovah El-Roy, the God who sees a little earlier on. And so we know the failure of Abraham when he didn't see anything happening and he tried to make it happen for himself. And guys, this is the pattern of our lives. Either God is good or he is not because if God is not good, then that means I have to do for myself. And that's when trouble happens. That's where Ishmael comes from. And so Abraham believed against hope. In the old versions, it says he hoped against hope. (laughs) And we know Abraham is the father of faith, of of our faith today. This is the reason why, is because he hoped against hope. When nothing was happening, he didn't give up. He kept pushing on. And you and I are sitting here today because he is the father of faith. We are the nations that came from him. Think about that for a moment. Millions and millions of believers in Jesus Christ are here today because of Abraham. Abraham believed. What promise has God given you? What expectation has God stirred up in your heart? What dream are you carrying for your life? Hope is hard, isn't it? So recently, I was a little frustrated and disappointed and a little stressed out with God about some of the dreams he's given me and the promises he's made in my life. Simon's nodding because he knows this is true. And you know, I had one of those discussions with God that go, that starts with, but seriously, God. Anybody ever had a discussion that started, but seriously, God? Yeah, we're in good company. And you know, God doesn't mind a bit of a whine and a whinge as long as we let him talk back. If I'm the only one talking when I'm fighting with God, um, yeah, it's not going to be good. He has a rule. Whenever you're fighting with God, he has to win. <laughs> if he doesn't win, it, <laughs> there really is no point. But in any case, I was having my but seriously God moment. And I heard the Lord say this to me. He said, Greg, you need to remember every dream you have is actually my dream. It's my dream and I gave it to you. In fact, I didn't even give it to you. I'm just sharing it with you. 
I'm just asking you to come and partner with me in the dream. And that's a bit tough to hear sometimes, isn't it? But as I was thinking about that and pondering on that, it, it made things a lot better because then I realized, oh, it's not up to me. This is God's dream. I get to dream it with him and I get to partner with him. And as I've been thinking about that, I've started thinking, what if all of God's dreams are actually multi-generational? Like Abraham. You see, we get so convinced that we are failing because stuff isn't happening the way we want it to happen in the space we want it to happen in the time we want it to happen. But here's the issue. Abraham would be considered a complete failure by our standards. Why? You're going to be the father of nations. And when he died at around 150 or so, all he saw, had seen was Isaac, his son, and Esau and Jacob, Isaac's sons, his grandchildren. And he died. That's it. Was he the father of nations? Yeah, well, no. <laughs> You're all being very good Christians full of faith. But in that moment, if some stranger came and Isaac had said, oh, well, look at our nation, three of us. Yay. <laughs> Governance is really easy. Um, people would have just looked at him and said, no, no, that's wrong. But you see, here's the secret. God does not just look at us in the time we live on earth. He sees the beginning of our life and then watches us into eternity. And so Abraham was a success, not because in his lifetime he saw nations, but because in his lifetime he agreed with God, he partnered with God, and he dreamed big. But then he passed that dream on to his son, and then he passed it on to his grandchildren. And because he was successful in what God had asked him to do, which was simply to hope, to hope against hope, you and I are sitting here and Abraham is watching us today. And I feel like he's saying to God, look, I did that, God. I did that, God. And I think God's saying to him, yes, Abraham, we did do that. <laughs> But are you getting what I'm trying to say to you? Your, the success of your dream is not you fulfilling it in your lifetime. The success of your life before God is that you partner with Him, is that you agree with Him, and that you dream big enough so your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren will dream a dream that will bring the kingdom of God to earth. And so stop feeling like a failure. I seem, think some of you need that. Stop thinking like you failed. It is not up to you. The passion of your heart was given to you by your Father. And he's the one who will fulfill it. So yes, do what you need to do. Abraham didn't just go to the beach. <laughs> we'll talk about that a little later. <laughs> Actually, ironically, yes. So how do we create a space of hope in our hearts? And how do we keep the dream alive when it feels like nothing is happening? Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 says, A voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, made straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, I think we've always read it like this, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. But can you see how it's written? A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare a way. Now, this is the irony of him going to the beach. Because God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans, which was lush and green and had lots of water, 
I remember being in Israel with my mother in 2009, and we went up Masada, up the fortress of Masada, um, which is right by the Dead Sea, and it overlooks the Dead Sea. And it's this magnificent landscape. It really is beautiful because the Dead Sea is this like azure blue color. Um, and it's just blue. And then there's this like sort of gray rock desert that just spreads out everywhere you look. But the Dead Sea is named the Dead Sea because it's dead. And nothing grows. You know, everywhere else you have a river and a dam or a lake. There's green trees and green grass. But there is nothing. It's a desert. Now, I think that's where God brought Abraham to. This barren, barren place. And God brought him from Ur of the Chaldeans and said, here's the promise. <laughs> I feel like God went, ta-da. <laughs> and if you and I were there, we'd be like, spectacular. Wow. Uh, yay. <laughs> Don't drink the water, you'll die. Um, so I think God has a sense of humor. But this is what makes Abraham amazing is that he still hoped. He still knew God was good. There are beautiful parts of Israel. The Golan Heights are all lush and green, and I'm sure he showed Abraham those quickly. But Abraham didn't stop believing God because what he saw in front of him didn't look like what he imagined it would look. And Pastor Darren is going to talk to you more about that next week. So yes, he did go to the beach, but he just couldn't swim. It was a bit sad. So how do we keep hope and faith alive? Because we know that our God is good. We know that he is good. That means that we declare in this wilderness, God is going to make a way. In this wilderness, he's going to make straight a highway. And he's going to come and do what he wants to do. And you see, that's what Abraham did. When he stood at the Dead Sea and he looked at the wilderness, he knew, but hold on, God has spoken. And so what are we going to do to create hope in us? We're going to declare our hope to God. We're going to declare our hope to ourselves, and we're going to declare our hope to each other. Abraham's journey was not alone. God gave him men and women who helped him and encouraged him. And so we need to learn how to declare. I think Pastor Rico was prophesying that. I was thinking he's stealing my word. That we need to declare hope. We need to declare our hope in God aloud so that we hear it. And then we need to tell ourselves, soul, you are hoping in God. This season will end. In this wilderness, I will be the voice calling. Nobody else is calling in your wilderness, then you be the one. You call. But we are stirring up our hope and our expectation in what? In the goodness of God. That means we have to make a decision that God is good. That he's kind, that he's nice that he doesn't just love you, but he likes you, that he actually puts you here so you could be amazing. Okay, some of you don't believe that. I know for many years of my life, I didn't believe that. I thought he's good to Pastor Simon, and he's really good to Pastor Siv. <laughs> but now I know God is good to me. But there's a decision I had to make, and it's tested all the time because life is hard, because stuff doesn't work out the way you want it to. Because it's not easy. But I have a choice to make, and you have the same choice to make. Are you going to let your situation dictate whether God is good or not? Or are you going to let God's goodness dictate to a situation how you're going to respond to it? 
And God says He is good. If you don't know that God says He is good, you need to go read your Bibles. And I'm not going to tell you where. You're going to go read it. And when you see those things where God says, I am good, you're going to highlight them and you're going to remember them. And the next time your situation feels like it's falling apart, you're going to stand on that promise and you are going to be the voice calling in the wilderness. He is good. You know, when I was trying to deal with the whole issue of God's goodness, I realized that I had hope in a whole lot of things. I had hope in my gifts. I had hope in my position. I had hope in my standing in my community. And I began to realize I didn't have hope in God. Simon, can you believe that? It happens, eh? Yeah. And I want to challenge you on that, that we are hoping in his goodness. We are not hoping in a promotion or a husband or a position. We are hoping in him. And what I have learned is that God, God's goodness to me means he gives me what I need, not what I always want. Sometimes he's so good I even get what I want. But more importantly, I now know that when I'm encountering some trouble, maybe I just need to go back to hoping in God and not in the stuff I think I need. I need to trust his goodness so much that every thought of his heart is for my benefit, is for my well-being. That when I pray and he says no, do you know that no is an acceptable answer to your prayer? And when you hear God saying no, you should just say, thank you, Lord, and move on. Somebody needed to hear that. I've learned the hard way. God will never forsake us. When I looked at those promises, I, I saw that God says he will always be good to me. But the real promise is that he will never, ever leave me or forsake me. That is what he promises over and over and over. He doesn't say it's going to go okay. He doesn't say it's going to be easy. He doesn't say you're going to love every moment of it. But he does say, I will be with you. And if we have God with us, what can't we face? But some of us have to make a decision that he's good. If we're going to keep hope alive in our hearts, we're going to have to deal with disappointment. Because this is the problem of hope. Hope is an expectation, isn't it? And the only reason we have ever been disappointed in our whole life is because we had an expectation that wasn't met. Think about that. The only reason I feel disappointed is because I expected something that then didn't come to pass. So let me help you with this. If I tell you I'm coming to visit you uh, on Monday afternoon at 3 o'clock and I'm bringing carrot cake, and carrot cake is like your favorite cake in the whole universe. Just pretend. Some of you hate it, but just pretend it's the best cake in the universe. Now, I have made a promise to you. I created a hope and an expectation in you. I'm going to arrive with carrot cake. And let's say my day on Monday goes completely pear-shaped, and I miss the bakery, and it's closed, and I get to you, and I don't have carrot cake. What are you going to feel? Now, let's say it like we know it's true. What are you going to feel? That's right. And you would have a right to be disappointed because I told you I was bringing carrot cake and then I didn't bring the carrot cake. I let you down. So now the Bible says you must forgive me <laughs> and let it go and then maybe just buy your own carrot cake. But <laughs> so there's a space where disappointment can be an, an, an appropriate response to a situation. Okay. But there's another space where we create our own disappointment. 
That space goes like this. Because of my need and my dysfunction, because of my desperately wanting to feel valuable and a part of something, I create inner expectations that I am not even aware of. And then I put those expectations on myself, I put them on God, and I put them on other people. And then when I fail myself, or when I feel, fa- when I feel like God's failing me, or like you're failing me, I am disappointed. But I've never expressed that expectation, okay? And so some of you are feeling very disappointed at God, and He loves you, and He cares about you, and He's intimately, intimately wanting to help you. But there might be a space where you need to start getting honest with yourself and with God about what you expected. See, this is Abraham and Sarah. Well, nothing's happening. Oh, well, here's Hagar. Let's just end the frustration. Let's just make a baby doing what they thought was right because they were frustrated. The Bible calls that idolatry. When I do for myself, it means that I actually think, God, you're not going to do this. And we become like Israel. We go, no, your promises aren't good. You're not going to fulfill those promises. So I'll make a way. I'll feel loved. I'll feel wanted. I'll feel important by the ways I do things. The Bible calls that idolatry. And all it leads to is more and more disappointment. And so God tells us in Corinthians 1.20a, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. And Romans 5 verse 5 says, and the hope, this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so we need to stand on the word of God. God does not disappoint. What that means, here is the bad news about it. If I'm disappointed, it's not God. I will leave you very intelligent people to understand who it is, and then you won't be angry with me. If I'm disappointed, it's not God. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Obedience to God keeps hope alive in us. We obey God regarding each step of the journey as he reveals it, even if we have not yet caught the whole plan. Abraham was obedient. He could have said no. Maybe God was speaking to five or six potential Abrahams, and he was the only one who actually went yes and then did something about it. Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is not a servant-slave relationship. This is I know you. You are good. Every thought in your heart for me is simply for my benefit. Why would I disobey you? That's what our relationship with Jesus should be. He loves us so much. We love him so much. When he says, stay pure until marriage, we just go, yes, Lord, it's hard, but we're going to do it because you are good, and there's a blessing waiting for me on the other side. I honestly believe that when I am obedient, it sets God completely free to have his way with me. When I walk in obedience with him, my purpose is assured. My destiny is absolutely secured because he's going to do what he's meant to do. When I'm disobedient, it's hard for him to do what he needs to do in me simply because I am in a bad space. When I have learned in my 30 years of being a Christian that when I feel far from God, I know he didn't move because he promised me I will never leave you or forsake you. And so some of us need to up our obedience 2 Timothy 
verse 47 says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We never give up. (laughs) Never, ever. We never give up. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Keeping faith, keeping hope alive is going to require patience and endurance from us. Can you get a vision of your dream from here to eternity? It's going to help you be a lot more patient. It's going to create endurance in you because you know like Abraham is looking at us now and feeling like he has succeeded because we believe in Jesus. One day you'll be in heaven looking down and going, that God, you're doing it. They got it. They're doing it. And so we need to increase hope. To summarize what I've said, hope can be hard, especially in this crazy world we live in. But remember that hope is powerful. Remember that hope is the very substance of faith. Remember that hoping in God is eternal. And that when we hope in Him, He will change our hearts, our minds, and our lives forever. And so I really felt the Lord say to me that there are people in the room today who you are disappointed, that this year has been disappointing. And maybe you need to just go and explore your expectations a little bit. And so I'm going to ask you in a moment, just where you are, in your seats, to close your eyes and just to do business with God. Just explore your heart. Is there disappointment? And what you're going to say to him is you're going to get really honest with him. You're going to say, God, I expected this from you. I expected this and this and this. Then you're going to say to him, but Lord, I'm willing to, to accept that maybe I had some false expectations. But we need to talk about this. And we need to make right around this. So Father, as we close our eyes, as we examine our hearts, Holy Spirit, would you show us any disappointment in our souls, Lord? And as we get honest with you, Lord God, would you just come and begin to speak to us? Would you come and help us to let go of that disappointment so you can have your way in us, Lord? So just do your business with God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're going to keep helping us with this disappointment, Lord God, until it's washed away. And then I'm going to just ask you, I'm going to just pray a prayer of recommitment to hope. And won't you just agree in your heart? So Lord, we come to you again as your people. And God, we declare over our lives that you are the God of hope that you are the one we are hoping in, that our hope in you is like an anchor secure beyond the veil. And Father God, we just recommit to hoping again. God, we recommit to obeying you, Lord Jesus. God, we recommit, Lord God, to just never giving up, that no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we will not despair because we are a people of hope. And God, we just receive the power of your hope right now. Would you just come and bathe us in hope over this Christmas season and all the way through 2018? In Jesus' name, amen.